0: Talk eleven ten ninety nine three wbt hour number three of the Pete Callender Show. You can also get it, uh, well, right here, right now, yes, but you could also get it on podcast, delivered right to your smartphone or tablet. Uh, as soon as we post them up, we get three different uh, episodes basically every single day, and uh, they come immediately as soon as we post them, which is during the show. So uh, there's a little bit of a lag, so after the first hour, we put one up, uh, and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet. Uh, commercial free, go to the Pete You can subscribe or WBT.com. If you would like to weigh in on the program, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110, uh, and Pete at the Pete dot I have a couple of emails here. We've been talking about the reaction to the Dobbs, v. Jackson women's health Supreme court ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade kicking the, uh, issue down to the states and the people, which is where the issue should have always remained. Um, so let me go to some of these emails here. Suzanne says, right on, right on. Men didn't have to worry about it. The women who confided with me that they had that they had had abortions. The reason always was the husband or boyfriend did not want it. Never rape, never drugs, never incest. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a lot of men pressure their uh, their dating partners, their spouses, whatever, to to destroy the life because the man doesn't want it. Um, let me see here. What is this? Help me out, Pete. Can can one not use condoms or the pill or other devices to prevent pregnancy? So why? Why, if the women don't want to get pregnant, don't they use something to prevent? Then they don't have to deal with all the issues with abortion. I get the rape issue uh, is another issue, but what if all these people that want abortion, their parents had aborted them? Who is thinking of the men who contributed to the making of the baby? What about their rights? A lot of issues here. Thanks, David. Uh, Yeah, this is one of the arguments. I also see a a lot of people from the left, they say something to the effect of, well, uh, if you're going to, you know, outlaw abortion in your state, then you need to, uh, you know, put guys on the hook for, uh, you know, parental support, child support, for that child's life for until age 18 or whatever it is. Which is a profound misunderstanding of the pro-life position, which, yes, they would be on board with that too. <laughs> That's, that is actually, yeah, they're totally fine with that, that's kind of how it's supposed to work. They, they would support you on that. Your terms are acceptable. Um, Gary says, Pete, your news clip during the break played a young lady saying that to control a woman's uterus is a human right. So they're saying abortion is birth control without saying it in those words. If pro-abortion people want abortion to be birth control, they should just make that argument. Um, this is from Dan. Oh, hang on. This is the second part. All right. Uh, Supreme Court should be following the wishes of the people. The entire premise is 100 percent. Bravo, Sierra. Complying with opinion is not the job of the Supreme Court of the United States. Quote, as the final arbiter of the law, the court is charged with ensuring the American people the promise of equal justice under law and thereby also functions as guardian and interpreter of the Constitution. That actually seems pretty clear to those of us who can and do read. He says, um, how is it that the same crowd of raging leftists who so actively and vociferously support pro-choice and pro-abortion are the same crowd raging liberals who are so vehemently opposed to capital punishment? Yeah, I don't know. I uh, Look, I, I gotta tell you, like I, I find... I find some bit of solace in my positions being consistent on capital punishment and abortion. I do. I do take some bit of comfort in that. I think it's a more defensible position. But it, well, I mean, it, but I didn't adopt that position because I wanted to be consistent across those two topics. I just don't trust government. <laughs> so I don't trust government to be taking the life of a person who, as we know now, many, many people have been falsely convicted, wrongly convicted. So odds are we have executed, as a society, innocent people. And that, to me, is egregious. So that's where I come down. Anyway, um, Joseph says the lack of widespread rioting with massive damage over Dobbs tells me that the 2020 summer riots were endorsed and even coordinated by the system because of Trump. If Trump was in office when this decision came down, it would have been summer of Floyd 2.0. Leftist violence is not organic. It's not coming from the street. It doesn't have public support. Leftist violence is simply state-sponsored terrorism against the domestic population. Uh, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know how to make that kind of prediction with certitude. So I don't make those types of predictions. Um, Gary, he says, Pete. Maybe between the, uh, the crime, the shootings, abortion, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, we are witnessing the result of cultural rot from the 60s on. There has been decades of incentives for people to do whatever they want with no repercussions. Maybe as we end abortion on demand and even as we focus on red flags, we change how we value other people. Maybe a guy doesn't date that crazy chick because they aren't, they aren't easy outs. Maybe that girl doesn't date the scummy guy because they are no easy outs. Maybe we examine how we treat others and what we allow in our lives as we face the repercussions. We've already seen how wokeism has destroyed dating for young people and a lot of corporations. We are facing blowback as a culture for what we have rewarded for decades and the easy answers people want don't exist P.S. Uh, keep doing a great show and challenging people's ideas. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate the, uh, the message. Um, okay, I think I'm caught up on those emails. I have a lot. It's like drinking from a fire hose here. Um, Icky Fu on Twitter says, Pete, uh, it would really help if uh, people would just find other hobbies and interests rather than just sex. That would be, yeah, that probably would open some different doors for you. Uh, Monica uh, suggested the death penalty for rape. Huh? Now, see, now that would be, well, no, it's not. Because you could entice a guy into having the relations and then accuse him of it being rape, and then you, you, yeah, you could do the rape test and all that, and then, then you could get him murdered by the state. See what I mean? It's a slippery slope there. There was a series of tweets that John Hayward, he's a writer, um, I think he's at, he writes for Breitbart, and uh, he went on to the Twitter machine, put out a thread, and he said, for a lot of people, especially younger men, by the way, I'm old enough to remember when these were called tweet storms. And I always appreciated the, the impending tweet storm, because you could see it building, building on the horizon. Clouds would gather, the ones and zeros. You could just smell it like the air would shift. You could smell it in the air. Tweet storms coming. Now they just call it a thread, which is meh, thread. Whatever. John Hayward, he's got a great thread. I want to read uh, portions of it to you. Um, As well as cover this assertion that a couple of the justices lied. They may have committed perjury when they were talking with U.S. Senators about their positions on stare decisis and Roe v. Wade. Wall Street Journal with an editorial. The justices did not lie to the Senate. News Talk 1110 wbt So the reaction to the Supreme Court's reversal of Roe v. Wade? has been, as the Wall Street Journal calls it, quote, predictably vitriolic and often full of distortions. They did not ban abortion. They said there's no constitutional right to abortion. They didn't take away a right. They said it was never there. Now, you may say, well, that's splitting hairs. Uh, But I disagree. I've said from the very beginning, as soon as I... As soon as I had an understanding of what Roe v. Wade did, when I saw it, and when I saw Casey, you could see that they had divined a right under due process, equal protection, and right to privacy. But they were not listed. They, they were not there. And yes, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that's like, I refer back to the founding document because that is our seminal law, and it says the rights not explicitly enumerated here are reserved to the people in the states. And so when you go beyond that, then, yes, I view you with suspicion. The majority did not set up other rights to disappear. They explicitly said abortion is unique. The most unfortunate claim now is that there's this accusation, they say, that some members of the uh, majority lied during their confirmation hearings. The charge is that they suggested that Roe v. Wade was precedent that could not be overturned. This is starry decisis. Coaxed on the point on Meet the Press yesterday, Representative Alexandria Casio cortez said this is grounds for impeachment. And do not be surprised if other Democrats pick up that cudgel and the media will amplify this and whip the democrats into a furor over this. Senator Susan Collins and Joe Manchin said on Friday that they feel like justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch deceived them on the precedent point in testimony and in their private meetings. Now the Wall Street Journal says they weren't in those meetings. And full disclosure, I, Pete Callender, was not in those meetings either. But we'd be stunned if either justice came close to making a pledge about Roe v. Wade. The reason is that the first rule of judging is that you can't prejudge a case. Judges are limited under Article 3 of the Constitution to hearing cases and controversies, and that means ruling on facts and law that are specific to those cases. No one can judge what the facts might be or might not be in advance of a case, and judges owe it to the parties to consider the facts of that case impartially. A judge who can't be impartial or who has already reached a conclusion or has a bias about a case is obliged to recuse himself. This is judicial ethics 101. An authority on this point is no less than... Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is the Ginsburg standard. They literally call it that. 1993, she said, it would be wrong for me to say or preview in this legislative chamber how I would cast my vote on questions that the Supreme Court may be called upon to decide. A judge sworn to decide uh, impartially can offer no forecasts, no hints, for that would show... Not only disregard for the specifics of the particular case, it would display disdain for the entire judicial process. That's the Ginsburg standard. And ever, ever since she articulated it, and of course she had to because she was a left wing lawyer. She was an activist lawyer. And they were trying to, and they were putting her on, Bill Clinton putting her on the bench, right? In order to engage in activism. And so rather than, give her opinions on various types of cases and how she might rule and all that, she came up with this standard and articulated it as such that I cannot tell you how I would cast my vote on questions that we may be called upon to decide. And now every justice since says it. They all say the same thing. They all use this standard. And so Gorsuch did it. Kavanaugh did it. Everybody did it. Oh, but I'm supposed to believe that They told you something different in the closed meetings that they were like, don't worry about Roe, I'm totally on your side. You do know that they're Catholics, right? The fury of the left's reaction isn't merely about guns and abortion. It reflects their grief at having lost the court as the vehicle for achieving policy goals that they cannot get through legislatures. The Wall Street Journal is exactly right. And if you look at the polling, I started the program off with this NPR, PBS, Marist poll. It's getting all the coverage about how everybody's opposed to overturning Roe v. Wade. 56%, 55% want to see anything past second trimester banned, any abortion past the second trimester banned, but, or past the first, should say, second and third banned. Um, but they don't ever talk about those polling numbers. But one of the other questions that they asked was about confidence in the Supreme Court. And the darndest thing happened. Yeah. After Republicans, conservatives, got control of the courts, or this court, I should say, all of a sudden Democrats have no confidence in it. Republicans, they haven't had confidence in it for a long time. Hmm. Interesting. So now all of a sudden you're a little bit more empathetic, a little, more, uh, a little bit more sympathetic to this idea that the lawyers with the robes might be engaging in some funny business. It was totally above board when you guys had control, but now it's problematic. Okay. News Talk 1110. 99.3 WBT. The fury of the left's reaction is not merely about guns and abortion. It reflects their grief at having lost the court as the vehicle for achieving policy goals They cannot get through legislatures. The cultural victories they achieved by judicial fiat will now have to be won by persuading voters. We understand their frustration, the Wall Street Journal editorial board says, but they ought to try democracy for a change. They might even win the debate. It could happen. John Hayward from Breitbart. He had a tweet storm, tweet thread the other day. Uh, Sorry, today he did. For many people, especially younger men, Roe v. Wade was a convenient excuse to avoid thinking seriously about a life and death issue of tremendous moral gravity. It was an excuse to not have an opinion. Aligned, coincidentally, with their promiscuous interests. It was Ferris Bueller's day off. Today's yammering about forced pregnancy from abortion fanatics reveals the collectivist nature of of the Roe regime. The parents of the child, especially the mom, have no agency, no individual responsibility for the actions that lead to conception. Ironically, abortion on demand infantilizes adults, turning them into hapless, dimwitted children of the mother state who cannot be expected to control themselves, not even with the possibility of a new human life at stake. There is a brutal power calculation at the heart of women's a woman's right to choose ideology. Three people are involved in an abortion, but the one who will die has no voice and gets no vote. We all instinctively know that's wrong, but our moral instincts are silenced by politics. These are difficult questions to ponder. So, of course, there was an eager marketplace for a top down non-answer imposed as every legal scholar knew all along. It was in defiance of constitutional law and reason. It was an easy collectivist answer to a matter of individual conscience. Forcing an entire nation to internalize those collectivist answers and power calculations did a lot of damage to our society. It increased the appetite for judicial activism as well as top-down solutions. Note how the end of Rose political activism is denounced as activism by the left. Isn't that a great observation? Roe v. Wade was political activism. It, it conjured up an idea not expressed in the Constitution. It created this, quote, right, this constitutional right, by simple divination. And when people, five decades later, finally get enough people on the court to say that's not in the text you never should have ruled that way they say that's activism they created a world where everything is settled by centralized power the titanic federal bureaucracy politicized courts and they cannot abide when someone else has the controls especially when they use it to reduce centralized power and send issues back to voters numerous toxic ideologies have been spun From Roe's irrational assertions, for instance, there was a time when the hot ideological concept in power feminism was all, all sex is rape. That follows inevitably from asserting that women are forced to be pregnant without abortion. Now that abortion is returning to the states where it belonged all along, everybody has to think about it a little more carefully, including young men who would rather not. Everyone has a say in the matter now and a responsibility to use their vote wisely, everyone stands up. The issue is not a simple one, so the discussion is going to be rancorous. States will have, uh, and they'll try various approaches. Some people are going to try to change the laws where they live. Others will move to jurisdictions they agree with. That is all as it should be, as it always should have been. More people will be heard now. Because this is now going to move to all 50 states. The debate will not be dominated by a few voices in the capital city and the coastal media hubs. More voices will become important for and against abortion in every state. And you know what happens when the issue is given back to voters? Persuasion becomes a vital resource again. We are no longer watching a few political heavyweight gladiators clash in the Capitol arena. So many voters must be persuaded now and in perpetuity. And that process of persuasion is never going to be over, folks. Because a state could restrict abortion today, but then loosen the rules after the next election and vice versa. And we'll have to think about the issue and we're going to have to talk about it. Men, women, forever. This doesn't end. With lives on the line, though, that's how it should be, right? John Hayward at Breitbart says the power to set the rules for abortion has been returned to the people of America, and so has the weight of responsibility, both before and after conception. Do not fear that burden, because it measures the dignity of freedom. Servitude and obedience require no moral judgment. Maybe, between all of us, we'll find some deeper wisdom about sex and pregnancy and child rearing and the responsibility of individual families and society. It seems far-fetched today, but angry yelling will fade in time because it's not persuasive, and persuasion is king now. Everyone reading this has more to say about this matter of life and death, choice and consequence, freedom and responsibility, than they did last week. And the American people are far less vicious and hysterical Than their political class is. Like I said. that was a tweet storm. In the true historical sense. In keeping with the tweet storms of yore. Anyway. I'm not so sure. Maybe they can threaten their way to victories. The North Carolina Republican Party offices got vandalized. Threats of violence spray painted. If abortion isn't safe, neither are you. And then they got the hearts. They drew little hearts around it. Because that that really conveys the message, right? And then the anarchy sign. Um, I'm thinking a chick did it. I, I'm not trying to assign gender or anything like that, but I'm I'm just not thinking a dude spray paints three large hearts all around the if abortion isn't safe. Neither are you. And the R is the letter R. And then three hearts with the uh, anarchist A on the side. I have not seen, by the way, any uh, D or D stories on this. The D or D is the defend or disavow coverage. You know, it's always the favorite game of legacy corporate lefty media outlets to go and stick mics in Republicans' faces anytime something bad happens and uh, get the Republicans to defend it or disavow it. Uh, I've not seen anybody play the D or D game with the Democrat lawmakers whether they would defend or disavow the attack on the North Carolina Republican Party headquarters. I'm sure I just missed it somewhere. News Talk 1110993 Ninety Nine Three WBT. Charlie Cook at National Review pulled out one of the lines in the dissent from the uh, the Democrat appointed judges, the lefty judges on the Supreme Court. Uh, most threatening of all, they said, no language in the decision from the majority stops the federal government from prohibiting abortions nationwide. Once again, from the moment of conception and without exceptions for rape or incest. So they're, they're highlighting what's missing. In other words, they wanted to see the majority put in some sort of a federal or some sort of a, a, a judicial prohibition against the federal government from prohibiting abortions nationwide. Congress can do that, by the way. Right. If you guys want to write a law that codifies Roe v. Wade, which is, by the way, why I kept asking these questions of the candidates when I had them on. When I asked Marjorie Eastman, who was running for Republican U.S. Senate, right? I asked her, do you want to codify Roe v. Wade? And she wouldn't give me an answer. And then it became obvious she wouldn't give me an answer when I kept asking the same question and she wouldn't give me an answer. That's why I asked it. Because if I'm going to send you to the legislature... And this now becomes up for legislating. I would like to know how you intend to legislate. But here's the thing. Charlie Cook says if the Dobbs majority had decided preemptively that the federal government was barred from prohibiting abortions nationwide, it would have undone decades of progressive led expansions of the Commerce Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause. And made the starry, decisis complaints that have been advanced by the dissenters look like a walk in the park. Is that really what they wanted? The dissent, the dissenters are correct to deduce that if there is no right to abortion in the Constitution, which was the only holding in the Dobbs ruling, but it's not there, well, then the federal government is not explicitly prohibited from regulating or banning it. But that a given federal action is not explicitly prohibited, does not under the constitutional order, mean that the government necessarily enjoys the power to take that action in the first place. The Constitution grants the federal government only a handful of enumerated powers, which are limited even further by the Bill of Rights. Unfortunately, this presumption that the rights that are not enumerated are reserved for the people in the states. That presumption has eroded over time to the point that the federal government now presumes almost unlimited power and accepts checks on its authority only via the Bill of Rights, the Equal Protection Clause, or whatever it a- is transient majority on the court contends might be contained within the free candy machine that is the substantive due process doctrine. Naturally, that erosion did not happen on its own. It was achieved over time through deliberate and sustained efforts, not of the Federalist Society, but of the Democratic Party and the judges that it has repeatedly put on the bench. See, this is this was why I celebrate the Dobbs decision. Because there is the component, yes, the pro-life component of it. But to me, this is part of a pattern that is restoring confidence for me. It doesn't have to for you. You're a different person. It's totally fine. But for me, I have long worried about this erosion. That's why in 2016, I, I was a Rand Paul guy. I wanted Rand Paul to win the nomination for Republican Uh, uh, the Republican nomination for president. I wanted that because he was the only one talking about reducing the scope of the executive branch because it had usurped powers delegated to the legislature. That the administrative state has gotten completely out of control. And Rand Paul was the only one talking about doing anything to restrain it. That's why I was a Rand Paul fan. Um, that's why I was a, I'm was. a fan of this decision, because it sends it back to the states, because that's where it should have been, and that was the rationale that they cited and used. And that's all that they needed to say, because that's the correct position, in my view. And I'm no lawyer. Um, there is another case, there are actually a couple more cases, that deal with the growth of the administrative state that the U.S. Supreme Court is about ready to issue rulings on as well. And uh, I know everybody's like focused on the guns and the abortion rulings. But these three cases that are coming down the pike, they're like really like esoteric and really in the weeds on bureaucratic mumbo jumbo and all this other stuff. But at their heart, what they're about is whether or not these federal agencies get to write the rules. Because Congress has found out that they can crank out little video clips and fundraise off it. And that's basically all they have to do. And they can write broad laws and send them over to the executive branch. And they just say, uh, the secretary of energy shall create some rules and the health and human services secretary shall create some rules and -and so-and-so shall create some rules. And all these agencies start writing their own rules outside of the legislative process, outside of our representatives. And so I'm looking forward to these next three cases coming down. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to make a prediction, not on the outcome of the cases. I'm not going to do that. You know, I don't do that. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot of folks are not going to have any idea that those might actually be way more important than the gun ruling and the abortion ruling. Our friends on the left may not even know what these next three cases are going to tell us. All right, stick around. Brett Winterbill is going to tell you some stuff up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.